0: Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. My name is Courtney. (inaudible) This is episode 56, and we are kicking off our review series for Stone Ocean Part 2 with Part 6, Stone Ocean, Kiss of Love and Revenge part one. All the parts. All the parts. And I didn't even say Stone Ocean part two. I think we all know where we're at with this. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. So yes, we need to be very clear here for those of you that are joining us and maybe haven't had a chance to watch all of Stone Ocean part two. We are talking about everything That has happened in stone ocean part two all of it is fair game so if it's been shown in the anime then we have the ability to talk about it with full spoilers
1: so that means everything that netflix has released for part two on their platform
0: yeah so even beyond the episode that we're talking about right now everything through the next 12 episodes that that came out as you know stone ocean part two that is all fair game so we may reference Things that happen a few episodes from now in this discussion. And that's going to be the same across the board. So if you haven't finished watching Stone Ocean Part 2, we recommend finishing that and then coming back to this podcast for this review series. And with all of those warnings out of the way, yes, we are finally here at Stone Ocean. We're putting our Part 3 Stardust Crusaders review series on pause so that we can talk every single week about Stone Ocean Part 2. So as you guys know, we're typically a bi-weekly podcast, but for the Stone Ocean Review Series, we're going to be releasing weekly episodes so we can pretend like Stone Ocean actually got released weekly and talk about it on a weekly basis. We're still going to try to keep that vibe going.
1: Yeah, but I think this part two, I'm going to use part two and second core interchangeably because sometimes I get confused saying part two, but I felt like this second core would have greatly benefited from a weekly format for obvious reasons. Because it was there is so intense. A, yeah, and there's a very significant climax at the end of this core. But, you know, we've, we've said our piece about the way that Netflix has handled or maybe mishandled this series. So, yeah, we're just going to go with the headcanon that we are doing this on a weekly basis. So for, what, the next 12 weeks or four four months, three months, four (laughs) months. we will be providing you with Stone Ocean content.
0: It's going to be great. What are your, now that we've binged Stone Ocean part two, the second core, what are your just like high level initial thoughts? We're going to talk all about our feelings about, you know, part two, I think when we wrap up things and kind of recap everything we talked about. But again, like high level initial thoughts, how would you describe it?
1: the prison posse is back <laughs> although it's not technically the entirety of the the posse They're they're kind of split up throughout the second core um just first off it just it feels it still feels surreal to be getting new episodes of a jojo part and even as we were binge watching these 12 episodes it i felt like i had to pinch myself because this is really happening we're we're in the throes of the next chapters of Stone Ocean. Well, what I think is the most intriguing part with the second core is with the first part, part one of Stone Ocean, um, it was kind of introducing everything in the world of Stone Ocean had this sort of stand of the week formula that was apparent up until the final arc with operation savage garden which kind of put things into motion and then with the second core just looking at it high level it seems that it's like every arc of this part focuses on a singular situation and that occurs for the most part at the ultra ultra security house unit i know with this arc about hermes and her sort of her revenge plot slash backstory. It takes place before that, but it just seems that everything is culminating with the events surrounding this security complex within the prison. And then obviously you have the, spoiler alert, reincarnation of one of the biggest baddies in JoJo, although it's not in a way that I was expecting at the end. So it's a very exciting part overall. And as with part one, it makes me, Excited to see what happens. Or as with part one leading into part two, it just leaves me excited to see what happens in part three. What were your thoughts about the second core?
0: I think the second core is so intense. It's so much fun. It's it's gripping. Um, even though I knew what was going to happen from a high level, because again, I've read the Stone Ocean manga, but I blazed through it, so I really didn't retain too much information. Even then, I, I was still surprised by things that happened in here, and I was still sort of on the edge of my seat. Um, and I, I, I really appreciate that everything that happens in this part is playing in some way, shape, or form to Jolene's ultimate goal of saving Jotaro and stopping Pucci. Even with the slower intro to this this uh, part with Hermes' arc in these first two episodes and with kind of like a similar slow part towards the end of this part. Sorry, it's like same part <laughs> Parts happens a everywhere. lot. Everywhere. Is in towards the second half of this um, this core where Jolene and Emporia lose their memory. Like that kind of was a, you know, a bit of a slowdown to the intensity that we were experiencing. Even those moments still have some some bigger um, they fit into the bigger puzzle, right? Like they they are helping jolene get towards something so with sports max we're seeing the bone and sports max plays an important part with that bone and activating what's going to happen next with this domino effect um so it's it's nice to know that what we're watching is still important even if it's a bit of a step back from everything else
1: yeah i 100 agree i think this the first core I'm getting all the parts mixed up now. It's probably Uh, easier for us to say core because now we're... I
0: mean, JoJo inherently is talked about in parts. Yeah. But now we're talking about parts of parts. So, yeah, let's just go with core. Let's let's try to be a little clearer just so, you know, for our own sanity trying to explain this.
1: Uh, But, yeah, I would say the first core of Stone Ocean kind of lays the groundwork or, no pun intended, the stones for the entire story and then it's this second core that really sets it, things into motion because I want to say there's no part of this that feels like a sort of like a filler part. Like I think with some of the episodes of the first core, I'm thinking of like the Marilyn Manson uh, episode. Yeah. Like that didn't really fit into the larger story. But I felt like here, every episode, as you said, had a significant impact or had Implications for the bigger story of saving Jotaro, or I'm going to just say it, resurrecting Dio, all right?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and we'll definitely talk more about that again when we reflect on this when we hit the uh, the twelfth episode of the second core. But I think uh, I think we can all agree that the second core brought like it delivered for sure Mm -hmm. Um, I was very very happy with it and I can't wait for the third core Um, but before we jump into this episode kiss of love and revenge which is localized as smack of love and revenge Um, I am bringing back localized names because we have a ton of them in stone ocean but before all of that, do want to shout out a new patron that we have. And this shout out goes to Fuma Buna. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but thank you Fuma Buna for becoming a patron of the Strictly series.
1: Yes. Thank you Fuma Buna. You've got our biscuits no no longer feeling limp if you know what I mean. (laughs) You mean our
0: pancakes no longer feeling flaccid? We will talk about that. Yeah, we will talk about that. Oh, God. But yes, Fumabuna, thank you so much for supporting us. We very, very much appreciate it. Um, And if any of you would like to support the show and get access to things like our bonus episodes, our pre-shows that we have weekly, our show schedules if you want to know what's coming up, um, even submit questions for us to answer on our podcast, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. And one more quick uh, housekeeping item. We are still on track to get to our goal, which we haven't talked about in a little, a little while, but to get to our goal on Spotify of 50 ratings for Strictly JoJo. So if you are listening to us right now on Spotify and have not left us a rating before, um, I think the only thing that you need is to to listen to 30 seconds of any episode of a podcast to be able to rate it. And you need to be on either the iOS or Android app. So if you meet all of that criteria, then head over to Strictly JoJo on Spotify. You'll see a little star icon, hit that and leave us a rating. We're at 42 right now.
1: It's only eight more. Yeah,
0: literally eight more to get to 50. So if anyone would be so kind as to leave us a rating and help us get to 50, we would very much appreciate it. So with all of that said, Let's talk about Kiss of Love and Revenge, part one, all about Hermes.
1: It was kind of interesting the way that this episode started uh, in, in media's res, uh, as the Latin term goes, or in the middle of the action, as we see Jolene just get thrown into a severe dilemma again at the prison, although this time it's, it's for a very good reason. And you have this two-episode arc where we learn, like, how Jolene had, has ended up in this predicament while also getting a significant amount of information regarding Hermes' backstory. And I, I want to say it's, it's, it's kind of coincidental that we're talking about an episode centered on revenge when just last week we wrapped up a two-episode arc about Polnareff and his, his arc of, like, a revenge story.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. We go from one revenge story to another. Um, I kind of wish that they hinted at all or maybe a little bit more about Aramis's reason for being in prison. I know that it was sort of ambiguous um, from the get-go, but it is kind of weird to just be dropped into the middle of Aramis's revenge plot.
1: Mm.
0: Like it sort of seems to come out of left field. It makes sense for her character, why she's in prison, why you know she is the way that she is. Uh, but it just yeah, it just seems like it kind of came out of nowhere, but it doesn't dampen it in any way. I think it's um, a very convincing uh, story for her. I know that she's greatly impacted by the murder of her sister. And as we see in this episode, it's so important to her that she is even willing to set aside her loyalties to Jolene and her mission to save Jotaro just to get the revenge that she's been seeking.
1: Yeah, that just sounds so similar to what happened with Polnareff and with J. Gile. Um He, he kind of threw away the mission of the Stardust Crusaders in that moment to pursue his revenge against his sister's killer. And yeah, Hermes, Hermes does the same thing here. And it, it's also weird because it happens uh, what a little over 10 episodes into this part, much like Polnareff's revenge story happened only ten or eleven episodes into part three, so a lot of parallels there. But yeah, it's just like you said, we didn't really get any insight into why Hermes was in prison up until this point, where in part three Polnareff we kind of learned about the story of his sister through certain episodes.
0: Let's really quickly before we um, dive into the synopsis, let's talk about Op and Ed. Because there's not much to talk about because we have the exact same OP and ED from the first core with very slight differences, I believe, to the OP. The most notable difference being the end part um, where instead of Jolene have, having her walk away from Jotaro toward the prison bars, she's instead walking toward Jotaro and um kind of, uh, it's it's something more sentimental. She's not, like, embracing him, but she's sort of laying her head on his back and looks very concerned because, obviously, she's concerned about his well-being. And then we sort of see like an image of her climbing onto his back. And I would guess, because they're obviously super zoomed into like her arm and her armpit, I'm going to guess that at some point, this is going to pan out and show us, hopefully, the iconic manga pose for Jolene and Jotaro, where Jolene um, is being carried on Jotaro's back and they're both kind of facing the camera.
1: Do you have a picture of that? Maybe I do. Maybe we could do. possibly share that on the discord and uh, i'm looking it up too. i don't know if this is the one that you're referring to hang on uh, i got you yeah okay this is the one that i found on google too uh yeah for the op's purposes yeah changes from seeing that vengeful jolene behind those bars in the first cores op2 one of a sentimental jolene i i think my favorite part of that that um animation is where she rests her head on jotaro's back sort of showing as like her her longing to to see him again um in fully conscious form and then her climbing her back, climbing the back like that Who, who's that uh who's that stand in part four
0: oh uh fucking um he's one of uh, the cheap st- trick Ye- uh, he's one of the sentient stands that we had talked about i think it is cheap trick
1: yeah, it's cheap trick. <laughs> <laughs> Where he latches onto Rohan's yeah. on back and he's like... <laughs> That's what her seeing her hand reminded me of right now. I
0: know. I'm sure to people who have not seen this icon- iconic um, manga pose for Jolene and Joto, they're probably like, what the fuck is she doing? doing um so yeah we will post this picture uh on the discord so you guys can see it in case you haven't before it's um probably one of the most memorable poses from the stone ocean manga and if you're not a member of our discord the link to join is in the description
1: and there are a couple other updates to the op after this point when it shows the aerial shot of green dolphin street prison as with the original op it pans upwards towards the sky now you see uh, what's what's the name? Savage Garden, the carrier pigeon. It's flying away from the prison towards the sky, as well as the the storm of frogs that Weather Report called upon at the end of Operation Savage Garden. So it's kind of a continuation of what happened at the conclusion of the first core. Um, I would think that, like, I'm I'm fine with them using the same song, Stone Ocean by. Uh, Ichigo, I think was her name from the Kishida Kyodan and the Akaboshi Rockets. Uh, but I would have hoped that at least they would update the visuals of the OP. Because it's taking all of the events that had happened in the first core still. So there, maybe it's because they don't want to spoil everything that happens with this Ultra House security unit arc. Because I know there are significant things that happen at the end of this arc that should not be spoiled in an op but i will think at the very least update things because you you barely see anasui in this op
0: i know which is a crime because anasui makes his his official debut i mean technically he had like a five second cameo in the first core but here Anasui is finally part of the Joe Bros. I cannot fucking wait to get to his episode, which is pretty soon. I'm going to talk all about Anasui. Like I love Weather Report, but I love Anasui almost as much as Weather Report. And he is such a great character. But anyway, yeah. So it's kind of a crime in my eyes that he doesn't get more screen time in the OP. And it also kind of makes me wonder. So typically with JoJo, with the exception of part four, four we have two ops if the um the part is longer so obviously part one and part two only had one op because they're shorter parts you're looking all confused no i'm just picturing
1: it in my head
0: (laughs) yeah so think about like stardust crusaders you have the two ops at the halfway point it changed or like part five you had two ops and at the halfway point it changed to the second op we technically hit so if If what we talked about before um, with the rumored DVD box set hinting at about 38 or so total episodes for Mm -hmm. Stone Ocean, if that's true, then we've technically already hit the halfway point, right?
1: Yeah, it would be a little past the halfway point now.
0: And what's interesting is we did not get an OP change. Um, We got a little bit of like an update to the OP, but no actual OP or even ED change. So... At first I was like, okay, maybe the third core will have the new OP, but but we have not seen the full image of Jolene being carried on Jotaro's back. I feel like they're going to save that maybe for like a pivotal moment of some sort um, and kind of show us that full image, which makes me think, are they going to carry this OP into the third core? Mm. So, are we only getting one OP for the entire show? Which isn't a bad thing. In fact, sometimes I wish they would use the same OP for a whole show, like Demon Slayer. If they just use gerenge I would be so happy. Like that's just all they need. Um, Gurren Lagann's OP, just one song. It was fantastic. That's all you need. Um, but I just, I'm curious. Like that's that breaks the formula that we've seen for other parts.
1: Yeah. Again, I would have, I would be fine with them using this this music again. But just an update to the visuals would have been great at corresponding with what's happening in that in that respective core so yeah I'm holding out hope that we'll we'll get a different one for that final core for the third part or part three of part six but that remains to be seen because now thinking about what you said with completing that image of Jolene and Jotaro they could very well just keep this OP
0: I think I'm more concerned though with no change to the ED if the ED sticks through till the very end, are we never going to get Jolene by Dolly Parton? I'm like, no, we, we uh, need to have that.
1: Yeah. And I know people have hinted uh, at like the ED having significance with the ending of part six. So they could very well also just keep this as the ED.
0: I mean, it's a good ED. Um, the song is great, but... I mean, come on. I think we were all holding out hope for Jolene by Dolly Parton. We'll see. Um, I don't know when the fuck the third core is going to come out, but we'll see when we get there.
1: All right, JoJo fans. With all that said, it's time to straighten out your limp biscuits as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for part six, episode 13, Kiss of Love and Revenge, part one. There's grotesque goings on galore at Green Dolphin Street Prison once again as we are forced to piece together how and why exactly Jolene has landed herself in ultra-security Weenie Hut Jr. In the events leading up to her predicament, Poochie Gang gives Sport Max a pep talk through his devious stand, White Snake, as Hermes plays Solid Snake by spying on the prisoner in purple and his daily routine. Jolene and Foo Fighters learn through sleazy prisoner Guess that Hermes has been in hot pursuit of Sport Max since her incarceration because of his criminal ties to the death of her older sister, Gloria. The tailing mission comes to a head as Hermes uses her duplicating stand, Kiss, to plow the putrid purple prisoner in a pipe and drown him. However, Sport Max resurrects in an invisible zombified form using his stand, Limp biscuit which also resurrects a nearby taxidermized bird and alligator to invisibly commit nefarious Florida Man things against the cutthroat Costello. Jolene and Foo Fighters arrive in the nick of time to protect a part of their prison posse, but will they be able to save Hermes from turning into gory Gatorade? Find out now, as all episodes of Stone Ocean Part 2 are unceremoniously available on Netflix and now on to our next segment of the show is that a music and or fashion reference where we document any and all nods homages and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion it's going to take a while to get used to that because i've always said music and or tarot reference (laughs) but we'll start off with uh just a refresher on what was mentioned in our part six episode 12 review which was sports max that's a reference, or his character's name is a reference to Sportmax, which is a brand of the Max Mara Italian fashion line. Then we have Gloria Costello, Hermes' sister. There are unconfirmed but potential music references with her name. Uh, well, with the one fashion reference, that's with their last name, Costello. Oh, wait, no, that's sorry, that's a music reference too. Costello is in reference to the English singer songwriter Elvis Costello as I mentioned in the Part 6, Episode 1 review. And in terms of her first name, Gloria, it could be several things. Um, it could be, I want to say Gloria Estefan, which is or who is a seven-time Grammy Award-winning Cuban-American singer who is typically noted as one of the best-selling female singers of all time, known for their Latin-fused pop singles such as Conga, Rhythm is Gonna Get You, and Get On Your Feet, which I remember hearing so much on the radio and during, like, receptions. Yeah, me uh, too. On the During the dance portion of, like, wedding or whatever events. Uh, her name could also be in reference to Gloria, a 1964 song by Irish singer-songwriter Van Morrison, or maybe even the 1982 single Gloria by the American singer Laura Branigan.
0: That's what I was thinking, the 80s song Gloria.
1: Yeah, the Gloria. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, too, because I'm I'm a big fan of the 80s and... I want to say like Araki too, because JoJo was created in the, the zeitgeist of the 80s. So I would hope that, that her name's a reference to that, that wild time. And then the last reference in this episode, which is also music related, is with Limp Biscuit, uh, the stand for Sportmax. This is in reference to Limp Biscuit, which is an American rap, rock, and metal band from, guess where? Jacksonville, Florida
0: oh shit <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're known for their lead vocalist fred durst's angry vocal delivery and their guitarist west B- west borland's sonic experimentation and eclectic visual appearances known for such singles as nookie rearranged and break stuff now i know we're gonna talk about the localized version of the stand's name which is probably one of the funniest localized names I've seen so far in JoJo. But Netflix decided to go against that. So what was the original localized name?
0: So um, in the manga, and I don't know how the manga translations work. I don't know if it's official. I would assume so, because I think Stone Ocean came out a while ago. So it probably is in print, like official print and official translation.
1: Well, I know that they've come out with the official translation for part five, which was probably about a year ago. So I don't think there's a, an official translation for part six yet. Oh. But I think this translation actually came from the JoJo video game Eyes of Heaven.
0: I don't remember this in Eyes of Heaven. But then again, I played it a long time <laughs> ago. Um, but either way, yeah, the uh, it's one of the most beloved localized names which is a pretty rare thing to say because most of these localized stand names and enemy names are pretty bad Um, but for limp biscuit we did have the one the only flaccid pancake yes which we all (laughs) held out hope that like that would continue in stone ocean the anime and yeah Netflix and whoever did translations ruined that and went with Limp Viscuit instead. With Bunch a of v.
1: cowards. Yeah,
0: they had <laughs> one job, one job, one opportunity to actually make people happy with localized stand names, and they fucked it up. I get it sounds so ridiculous to call something Flaccid Pancake, and to non-deep like, uh, in the lore type of dojo fans like ourselves, viewers might think, are you serious, Flaccid Pancake? But- this is such a beloved thing in the Jojo community that i'm I'm shocked, not entirely shocked, but still slightly shocked. They didn't go with it,
1: yeah, at least let the localized name still embrace the bizarre aspect of this series.
0: Let us just have this one, okay? All yeah. the other localized stand <laughs> names suck. Let's just have like, let us have flies and pancake, please.
1: Last thing I'll say about Limp Biscuit. Is that the character's power and design, or the stand's power and design, were based off of the 2000 film Hollow Man, because Sonoshin was created in the early 2000s, the manga. Um, Hollow Man tells the story of Sebastian King, played by Kevin Bacon, who is a scientist who volunteers to be the first human test subject for a serum that renders the user invisible. When his fellow scientists are unable to restore him back to normal, he eventually becomes violently insane. And goes on a murderous rampage, much like Sport Max and his animal cronies did in this episode.
0: Do we ever see Limp Biscuit?
1: No. Okay. I don't think so. Yeah. He himself or Sport Max is invisible. Sports Max. Is yeah, I guess. Th- actually, I think that's the localized Sports name. Max. I thought yeah. it was
0: because they say Sports Max in the Japanese.
1: Oh, they do. Okay. It's
0: Sports Max with two X's, isn't it?
1: Yes, well, the namesake is Sport Max, but oh, I guess
0: if I'm reading the katakana, it's sportsu, so that sports, sports, sports
1: sports. Okay, potato, potato. But uh, yeah, Sport Max. Eh, you you never see him in his invisible form, obviously, as well as the animals, and until you see at the end of this part, like the blood stains on the alligator.
0: And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And like the first core of Stone Ocean, we really don't have that many from this second core. Um, I'll try my best to find them, but most of the time the memes are either from the manga, so I'm a little less familiar with them, or they kind of pop up as more people watch the anime. I
1: was going to say that I think one thing that the community was kind of up in arms about is that they didn't include the Jolene tray scene in this episode. I don't know if that's a meme in itself, if you're familiar with that meme from meme from the manga.
0: Oh, the Jolene face? Yeah, I mm-hmm. am familiar with that. But I thought that like Oh, I do see here. Right? See I don't remember like... I don't remember the manga that much, but you're right. Yeah, that wasn't in this fucking part. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, her kind what of the hell? Her
1: kind of swerving motion. Yeah,
0: and it's yeah. I'm seeing here in the fuller picture that it's in the middle of all the the girls fighting over food in the lunch line, and Jolene just kind of swerves her ass in, <laughs> mm-hmm. and she's so happy. I'll I'll grab a picture of this, and we can post it in the Discord. But you're right. Yeah, I am familiar with that meme, and I didn't realize that that was the part that it came from because I always saw her just cropped out, so I didn't know it was in the background. So, yeah, I guess they, they gypped us on this meme.
1: Wah, wah, wah.
0: I was also going to say Flaccid Pancake is, is a meme as well, but we don't even have that in this episode. So there you go. If there, if there are any other memes that I may have missed, please reach out. Let us know because the Stone Ocean ones are going to be uh, tricky as always to, uh, to note here, but I'll do my best. So right off the bat, I want to call out animation. Um, I do want to say overall, the animation in the second core is much better than the first core. With that said, though, there are still some episodes of the second core that look a bit wonky. And I want to say the Hermes arc here, the first two episodes, um, they probably looked the wonkiest of some of the episodes we got from this core. Yeah. More so this first episode. I think it's better in the second episode. But yeah, there's some parts I'm like, ooh. That looks a little bit rough, or that motion looks a little bit janky. But I think when you get into the the meat of the second core, the animation looks so much better.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, there were some instances in the later episodes where it looked as wonky as this Jolene tray meme. Uh, but I think for the most part, yeah, things looked cleaner in the second core, as as clean as they could get with having to work with that uh, binge release. Yeah,
0: I'm going to gush over some parts of the animation as we get into like Anasui's Sui's introduction, um, everything that happens with Foo Fighters. I mean, there are some shots that look absolutely phenomenal. Um, but I would say overall, the episodes in the second core look much cleaner, much better than the majority of what we got in the first core. So thank you, David Production, for that. And we start off by seeing Jolene being put in Ultra Security House Unit. Is that the right name?
1: Yeah. and. Before that, I just love how they took her mugshot and her prison card and then formed the word Stone Ocean. Just thought that was clever. Oh, yeah, that was cool.
0: (laughs) Um, But yeah, she's put in ultra security house unit simply on the premise that she's a troublemaker because they they say that they can't prove that she killed that person that was murdered. And, you know, we're kind of sitting here a little bit confused because this is a, um, this is, I guess, present day and then we get a, uh, not a time skip, but we get a jump it's like back. It's a flashback. In time. Back, basically. Yeah, to what happened to get Jolene to this point. Um, but with this cell that she's in, in this unit, it's dark. It's filled with water and insects. She's surrounded by like, horny dudes and even gets poop thrown at her face and i think all this shows the length that jolene is willing to go to to save Jotaro. she doesn't Mm -hmm. whine or cry about it she says this situation is here to break me and i'm not gonna let that happen because i need to save my father
1: that's the joestar mental fortitude and resolve that still runs through her blood as Jotaro had said to her in the first core of part six um and I, speaking of Jotaro, I know we get a quick shot of part six, part three Jotaro as she's reflecting on her mission to save him. And I got another Jojo that you could kind of see in this part is that security guard that looks like a discount journal that throws her into the cell. Oh,
0: cause he's got like the swirly yeah. blonde hair.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure he has a name. I don't remember exactly what the, his name was in the manga. Or maybe he didn't have a name. Uh, I just saw something in passing about it.
0: We then move on to Hermes's like the beginning of her story. um, And she sort of recaps what her power or her stand ability is all about with KISS. Um, We have a CG pen. And I was like, oh, there's a CG pen, but it is what it is. And she explains she puts a sticker on an item to duplicate it. She removes the sticker. It becomes one again. But in that process, damages itself in some way, shape or form, making it easier to fully destroy um, so then we get reintroduced to Sports Max and we get more context around him than the teaser that we got at the end of the first core. And we also see his insane apostrophe eyebrows.
1: And his whole suit that's just filled with apostrophes too.
0: They're kind of like beans to me. <laughs> like they have the shape of like lima beans or something.
1: Or it's that shape you see in fashion. That... In fashion? Paisley? Yeah, I think that's it.
0: Kind of like that rounded, because yeah, Paisley kind of looks like an apostrophe as well. Yeah, or like a comma.
1: I think yeah, I mentioned it in a previous Part Six episode review, uh, but yeah, I don't know what <laughs> what his his theme is with his outfit. It could very well be commas.
0: I just want to see a cosplayer try to pull off his apostrophe eyebrows. <laughs> They're so intense. Those must be like really annoying to wear on your face.
1: I think one thing we forgot to go over is like there's that brief flashback to Pucci and his conversation with Dio that happens right before the OP as Dio and Pucci kind of sync together and say, I will do anything to reach that end, which is attaining the true happiness.
0: Oops, you're right. I'm like, I know I put that in my notes, but it got pushed down to the middle of my notes for some reason. Yes, you're right. We revisit that scene where Dio... I think it's probably one of the first times he explains the concept of heaven as Dio knows it to Poochie. I don't know if they added more to this scene or if it's a one-for-one, one, just like a a reminder. Um, do you recall? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I felt like some of the quotes d- were drawn from the previous time we saw Dio have a conversation with Poochie, which I'm pretty sure was you know, episode 12 of part 6. But I think one thing that's prevalent in the second core is that we continually, continuously are getting insight into Pucci's relationship with Dio from that many years ago. Yeah, we
0: get a ton of it in the second core. We'll talk all about that, especially um, one particular scene towards the end of the core, which um, I think helped kind of shape Dio a little bit more in some fans' eyes.
1: Although it's still unclear how... Pucci and Dio first met because I don't think that was addressed previously and I don't know if that's something that will be explored in the third core but do you recall like if it was just mentioned in passing by Pucci in
0: the anime I don't think so I don't okay. even remember if they talk about that in the manga okay
1: and I don't know if, if that's really relevant to to their relationship more than just Pucci kind of being the the vessel for Dio to come back, which I think takes center stage more so.
0: Then we jump into the cafeteria scene where I don't really understand why, but Foo Fighters decides it's opposite day because she wants to change herself. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to change herself before seeking approval from others, but I don't understand why she's doing that. Like, I get the idea is that, like, every... She's sort of new, right, to the the prison, um, based on like when she joined the Joe bros and she's getting like cut in line by other girls. Cause she hasn't really made a reputation for herself yet, but she just kind of says like, well, I can't seek approval from others until I change myself. So I'm forcibly changing myself by choosing the opposite of everything that I would innately choose. But the whole reason behind it, I don't ever think they explain that. I think it's just a quirky thing that Foo Fighters is doing on this day. And that's it, right? Like it plays no relevance to the rest of her story, right?
1: Well, actually on the second rewatch, I was thinking more about what she was saying about changing herself by doing the opposite of what is expected. It's sort of Foo Fighters Fighters trying to defy expectations. I would say this is exactly what happened when she had defected from Poochie's side in protecting the stand discs from the first court, right? Because she saw... I guess, in a way, Jolene defied her expectations of Jolene being her enemy by, wasn't it, Jolene fed her water? Yeah. And so that, that was like a turning point in Foo Fighters' quote-unquote life, since it's just a bunch of plankton meshed together. But I would say that this line takes significance in the climax of the Second Corps, specifically with what happens in the wetlands. When Jolene asks, or no, it's not Jolene. When Anasui asks Foo Fighters to do something,
0: yeah, um, and she does the opposite, but right. to to his benefit,
1: right. And so I think this is kind of laying the laying the seeds for that moment to happen with Foo Fighters entering this mindset.
0: Okay. That makes more sense, because I was looking at it very surface level, like, why is she doing that? (laughs) What is the point of all this? I get she's a quirky character, Mm. but it just seemed like there wasn't a real purpose for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it plays into the comedy of this scene where it's just chaos ensuing with, (laughs) with Blue Fighter's choice to just allow people to cut her in line. But I think there is a bigger context to why she's starting to think that way that leads into the climax for the second core.
0: We jump back to Hermes and we learn more about like what she's up to, um, that she's been stalking Sports Max and even um, chooses that over helping Jolene and Foo Fighters because Jolene and Foo Fighters go to Hermes to bring her her breakfast. And again, Hermes is, ha, has been loyal to Jolene and committed to Jolene's goal of saving Joltoro, but this is the one thing that holds her back because she wants revenge for her murdered sister, but also doesn't want to get Jolene and Foo Fighters involved. Like you, on the surface, it looks like Hermes is being very cold to them. Like she d- no longer cares about them. You know, it's her business. She tells Jolene, "Don't put, you know, pry your nose into my business. Um, don't get involved." But I think that's her way of protecting them um, and not getting them involved in something as messy as murdering someone for revenge.
1: Yeah, okay. To compare with um, the Hanged Man arc from Part Three. It's different because Polnareff, I think he he put every, like he threw his relationship with the Crusaders away, saying that it wasn't important in that moment to go after Jaegal without thinking of the consequences. Because think,
0: he's more like egotistical right. and kind of, uh, he's very reactive.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I would say Hermes here is being more considerate by trying to keep Jolene and Foo Fighters out of the fight.
0: And I think part of it, too, is just her being consumed with this mission of revenge um, because there is a quick flashback where Foo Fighters goes to Hermes and kind of updates her on what had happened at the end of the Second Corps with Jolene. And Hermes is like, OK, cool, and walks away and just keeps following a sports smack. So there's there's definitely some clouded judgment here, um, but understandably so, because then we learn that Hermes and Gloria lost their mother when Hermes was young. Gloria took care of the family, including like helping with their father's restaurant um, they had an argument on the night that she died, probably because Hermes was like a pesky high schooler. Um, Gloria ends up witnessing a, a gang murder and is killed by Sportsmax to keep things quiet. And yeah, that that sparks kind of a, a downward spiral for Hermes. Like she loses her dad after that, um, and she follows him by getting herself placed in jail so that she can, she can kill him.
1: I was actually reading that all of these flashbacks were... Original scenes in the anime that were only narrations in the manga. But,
0: oh, really? See, mm-hmm. I don't remember shit from the manga. Honestly, <laughs> if it wasn't a huge story beat, I probably don't remember it.
1: Yeah, but I mean it it's great that they included these here. So we, we see up front and we get to empathize with Hermes. Why did I say that? So? Hermes. <laughs> <laughs> with empathi- empathize with Hermes as to why she's so emotionally invested in getting rid of Sports Max. And it's kind of interesting because I feel like Hermes' story is a little bit like Peter Parker's or Spider-Man where she loses a parental figure and so someone fills in that spot. Hermes kind of waves that person off and then they become a victim of of the criminal element. So a lot of parallels there, not just with Polnareff, but with with (laughs) Spider-Man. And I think you
0: bring up a, a good point about the the decision in the anime to expand on this story and give us actual context and visuals because if not it would basically being it would basically be a um tell me don't show me situation you can't Mm -hmm. tell me that this is important to Hermes. you have to show me that this is incredibly important to her and that she lost somebody who really impacted her life so yeah i'm i'm glad to hear that they made that choice to add this in even if it's at the sacrifice of the Jolene face from the cafeteria scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Trey Jolene. A um, couple other things that I pulled from the scene or that I want to discuss is just that line that Hermes says, the darkness will answer those who live by it. I just, seeing that in the subtitle, it, it it's a very powerful statement. Just That's just one that you can kind of just carry even in, in your own life. Um, thinking about like the, the dark elements of this world and hopefully getting their comeuppance uh which is kind of the case with sport max here um another thing to note is uh with the vas gloria's va is akino watanabe uh some of their roles include midnight from my hero academia uh hitch from attack on titan and holly lidner from death note so
0: holly was that the the lady that light was following around in that one episode who's holly
1: no, uh, Holly was from the third core of Death Note.
0: Oh, I was thinking so, Ray Penber's fiance. No, yeah, it's not them.
1: <laughs> um, they're a private investigator in the third part. Uh, Sport Max's VA is Tsuyoshi Koyama. I was looking at their, their filmography, nothing of note that it, we have watched at least, but just a little bit of trivia is that the voice actor for Sport Max in Eyes of Heaven who is Kosuke Toriyumi, went on to voice Mista in the part five anime adaptation.
0: Nice. That's like how Yuki Kaji voiced fucking uh, Johnny from part seven, the Jojo from part seven in Eyes of Heaven, and then went on to voice Koichi. Um, but I, it'd be cool if they brought him back for Johnny. I wouldn't even care that they use him twice.
1: Yeah. Yuki Kaji as a Jojo, that would be great.
0: <laughs> um, and then I I think that there's a lot to be said around the just uh, the Florida justice system when SportsMax only gets 5 years for tax evasion since they couldn't prove that he killed Gloria, similar to kind of what happened with Jolene, she gets an insane sentence for something that she was completely innocent in. So, yeah. All right, Florida. Also, are there (laughs) gangs in Florida? It was so weird seeing this Mm. mafia scene, which is like present-day mafia, like, you know, mid-2000s mafia. I'm like, does that exist in Florida? (laughs) What the fuck?
1: (laughs) My knowledge of Florida gangs is just from Vice City. GTA (laughs) Vice City uh, and Scarface, so (laughs) I don't know if there really is a gang element in Florida in the, the, the 2010s where Part six takes place, but I, I would feel like there are probably Italian crime families out there in such a tropical location.
0: If not, there are, according to Iraqi. <laughs> <laughs> so then, I think uh, we get Stan stats at this point.
1: Yes, and I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot because when we first talked, we first talked about part six. I don't think uh, we discussed these stand charts that appear as the eye catches. For these episodes but since we've started part three and we started talking about the stand charts for those episodes i figured now's a good time to bring that into part six and thankfully we get a, a sort of quote-unquote flashback stand stat here with hermes's stand kiss so with destructive power it's at a speed is at a range is at a durability is at a precision and accuracy is at c and development potential or the capacity to effectively utilize or improve overall capabilities is at A. So KISS is a very effective stand, and destructive makes sense because at the beginning of the episode, Hermes was giving a recap on what uh, KISS's abilities are, and when it reverts back to a single object, it ruptures that object, making it even more vulnerable.
0: It causes damage. Yeah. So then after that, we jump into Erma's actually confronting Sports Max. And she traps Sports Max in a pipe using her stand ability. And what's interesting here is she successfully kills Sports Max. Mm -hmm. Um, But interestingly, as we'll learn in the next episode, his stand ability survives and allows him to continue existing as this like invisible figure. I don't think they explain how that works. But (laughs) I don't know. Limp biscuit, I guess, can do some crazy shit.
1: I think this is a return to seeing zombified beings in Jojo. I think the first instance of that is with part one, where Dio in his vampire form was able to command or transform humans into the undead and command an undead legion. And then I believe Enya's stand in part three, uh, Justice. I know we haven't gotten to that in our part three review but I'm pretty sure she employs a similar ability.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, So it is interesting to see zombies come back um, and sort of have like this horror element to this first uh, episode, these first two episodes of the second core. And I would say that this episode and probably the next episode as well is pretty fucking brutal. Um, It's pretty
1: fucking graphic. Yeah,
0: seeing Hermes get her finger ripped off Um, And getting like holes poked in her face and then a tear that goes up toward her eye. And the worst fucking part, which reminds me of one of the only parts in JoJo that actually makes me queasy, is seeing the invisible bird rip her artery out of her neck and pull on it.
1: The carotid, wasn't it? Yeah, it was almost as nasty (laughs) as, again, like
0: that part one um, uh, fucking phantom blood Part between Dio and Jonathan where Dio grabs Jonathan's carotid artery and like wiggles it between his fingers. That's still que- like makes me super queasy. It weirds me out. This almost had the same level of nasty.
1: And I think, I want to say like, there's a lot of brutality and, and graphic shit throughout the second core.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because
1: I, I found myself kind of like wincing. I mean, I, I don't know why I winced so much at animated violence or gore, but I guess it's just that coupled with the sound effect that you know the sound design in jojo that that makes you viscerally react to these things
0: i will say that the second core did have yet another moment that actually did make me as queasy as the carotid artery part from part one of jojo um hint or I guess spoiler alert it's the toenail part that happens uh, during uh the the unit fight um that that was fucking disgusting. I actually closed my eyes. Yeah, that's just hearing that
1: sends chills down my spine. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, congrats, Stone Ocean. You gave me my second moment of like real queasiness. But anyway, we'll we'll talk about it when we get there. Um, and in the middle of. I guess, Hermes getting, you know, brutalized by invisible animals. Jolene and Foo Fighters come to check on her. And that's when Foo Fighters gets her leg ripped off and consumed by the invisible crocodile. And I have to say, I love the munching noise that the crocodile makes. Another great bit of sound design from David Production. It's like not just your normal munch or crunch noise. It's so deep and like low pitched. It just makes it incredibly eerie.
1: I think I was just so focused on, oh my God, Foo Fighters' leg just got munched off. But then I realized, oh, she's made of plankton and she can heal herself. She's it, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get the, the blood splatter that I think uh, comes from her leg because uh, Jolene had stone free punch it. And then that reveals where the alligator is. Is and it then... an
0: alligator or a crocodile? I thought it was a crocodile. I don't think it matters Ga- too I think, much. Uh,
1: gators are more synonymous with Florida. But
0: I thought the, the sub said crocodile. I don't know. Either way, it's one of the two. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because
1: you have a, like the Florida Gators, the, the football team, right?
0: Is, is that why they picked the Gators?
1: Uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm pretty sure it's alligators that are endemic to Florida. And now we are going to Google Fervently, <laughs> I'm looking up which this. are
0: more vicious alligators or crocodiles because I think one is like more docile than
1: the other. Um, I mean, you always hear of like alligator attacks or the <laughs> news lines of Florida man so it says handles alligator.
0: Crocodiles are typically more aggressive than gators, that's why I thought it was a crocodile. Also, I thought that's what they said in the, the subs, but again, I don't think it matters <laughs> either way, it's it's one of the two and it's equally vicious.
1: i just googled florida man alligator this isn't a side but there's a news article that says a florida man is recovering after an estimated 12 foot alligator chomped down on his head fracturing his skull and jaw but he was able to pry the reptile's mouth open to swim away
0: damn talking about strong remember (laughs) Uh, when they sent that florida guy from Florida to Chicago yeah. to get that gator out of the the they lake it or whatever a chance the river. the snapper. Yeah. <laughs> so for those who aren't aware, if if you aren't in the Chicagoland area, um, a couple of years back in Chicago, there somehow an alligator or a crocodile got into. Was it the lake or was it a river?
1: It was a a humble park. Lagoon,
0: okay. so yeah, one of our our major uh, neighborhoods, neighborhoods. Uh, <laughs> we I don't remember how the the gator or the crocodile got in the got in there in the first place, but um, I think, animal control was having a hard time catching it it took them a long time and finally they gave up and called in an expert a florida from man. florida <laughs> yeah they flew in a florida man to <laughs> chicago and the dude found it in like a day or two
1: it was like a gator whisperer or something. yeah
0: like what took animal control so long they had to give up took the dude like no effort at all he's like oh i found it and then that was it
1: <laughs> yeah uh i found a news article that explains that situation so we can share that in the Discord for anyone who wants to learn more about this Florida man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and then you did kind of answer a big question I had at the end of this episode. I was like, what exactly does Stone free punch to cover the crocodile in blood? I was kind of confused by that. But you said it, she punched like Foo Fighters' wounded leg to spray blood all over him.
1: I'm pretty sure... I think Yeah, I think it's the leg, and we can clarify this in the next episode, because I think it repeats this scene, and we see what exactly Stonefree punched. But I'm pretty sure it's uh, Foo Fighters' leg.
0: Okay, that would make sense, because I'm like, where did all of this blood come from? What did Stonefree hit?
1: And that brings us to our final thoughts for Part 6, Episode 13, Kiss of Love and Revenge, Part 1. So... In memoriam of a piece of Jojo culture gone far too soon, did this return episode give you a flaccid pancake?
0: <laughs> um, it, it did in a good way, I guess. Um, I thought it was a great start to the second core. I still feel like it was a little disjointed from the way that part, or sorry, for the first core ended with, you know, the, the frogs raining down and um, the the pigeon and all of that. I feel like we have this weird skip where if I were to watch these episodes consecutively, there would be like this very clear divide. Um and again I think it's because even though they hinted at SportsMax in the previous episode or sorry, the previous core at the the end, um, there was real no real tie in to AirMess until we get to kiss of love and revenge part one, mm-hmm. where they make it very clear that there is some history there. Despite that though, I think it builds on Hermes' character a lot. Um, it shows that she's passionate about her own family and she's ex- extremely loyal to the point where she will chase down Sports Max, literally kill him and get revenge for her sister um, and everything that happened to her. So it's a, it's a nice start to this small arc for Hermes. Um, and I think it, uh, it shows us a lot about who she is. What about you?
1: Yeah, I think this episode gave me a flaccid pancake <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in that it's, it's a somewhat subdued start to the second core of Stone Ocean, but it quickly gains traction as we learn more of Hermes's vendetta against Sportmax. And to comment on what you said earlier with the first core ending with that kind of post-credits of Sportmax... I too thought like he was going to be just an important character overall, uh, with the 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 overarching plot of resurrecting Dio because Pucci obviously gave him the bone. But I guess we'll see at the end of this two episode arc that you know Sport Max is taken out of the game pretty quickly. Uh, But other than that, with us returning to Stone Ocean on this episode, it almost seems like a bit of a coincidence as I mentioned before, seeing as we just wrapped up Polnaras revenge plot against Jay Gile in Part 3, Episode 11, our episode from last week. Uh, but it is a definite plus that the episode gives us insight to Hermes' backstory and what has motivated her to wallow in the stone ocean of Green Dolphin Street Prison. And I think it'll be intriguing next week to kind of compare how Hermes decides to find closure with her sister's death versus how Polnareff ended up dealing with his sister's death. So how revenge is sort of dealt with in part six compared to part three.
0: I still can't believe we're in the throes of the second core of Stone Ocean. I'm so happy that it's back. I'm so happy to be talking about Jolene, the Joe Bros, and to soon be talking about Anasui as well. There are so many parts of the second core that I've been waiting to see in animated form. So yeah, there's going to be some really great discussion from here on out for the next 12 weeks. So again, please join us every single week until we wrap up the Stone Ocean Part 2 review series. Um, and we appreciate you guys for, for joining us on this fun adventure. Subscribe to Strictly Jojo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, TheStrictlySeries.com. If you'd like to support the show, like our amazing new patron, Fumabuna, then head over to Patreon.com slash Series And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.
1: To be continued.